We're going to continue worshiping God this morning through the preaching of His Word. And if you turn with me in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and reading at verse number 7. Colossians 1 and verse 7. The Word of God says this. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And if you would flick forward with me to chapter 4 and verse 12. Chapter 4 and verse 12. The Word of God says this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always labouring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And amen. And we know God's word does not return to him void. I want you to use your imagination this morning. I want you to use your imagination, and I want you to imagine that your pastor is retiring. He's retiring. A bit hard to imagine in Grange Baptist because uh, Pastor Craig is so young. But I want you to imagine that your pastor is retiring. And you've been chosen to be part of a search committee on the lookout for a new pastor. For a man who would pastor and shepherd the flock of God here at Grange Baptist. And perhaps you're asked the question, what quality or characteristic would you like to see in a man who would pastor and shepherd the flock of God here? And I'm sure if you're anything like me, there's lots of different words have just come to your mind. Holy, humble, maybe bubbly, communicator. And let's be honest, those are things that we would like to see in a man who would pastor in the flock of God. But I put it to you this morning that the most important quality in a man or woman of God, not just a pastor, but a man or woman of God, is this faithfulness. Faithfulness. The most important quality in a man or woman of God is faithfulness. And this morning I'd like to show you a man of God in the New Testament who was faithful. First of all, he was faithful to God's commission. Secondly, he was faithful to his church. And thirdly, he was faithful in prayer. Faithful to God's commission, faithful to his church, and faithful in prayer. Epaphras, who we've just read about in these verses of Scripture, was the pastor of the church at Colossae. He was a Gentile, and his name is the shortened form of Epaphroditus, which is related to the Greek goddess Aphroditus. Whenever he was converted, he more than likely changed his name so as not to be associated with his pagan upbringing, with his pagan past. And just a bit of context this morning, Colossae was located about 100 miles from Ephesus in the Roman province of Asia Minor. It was once a great trade city, but now really it's in the afternoon of its influence. It's in the afternoon of its influence whenever Paul writes this epistle. Now how did the church get started there? Well, on Paul's third missionary journey, he went to Ephesus. Ephesus was the center of commerce in Asia Minor. And he was there in his third journey. You know that he disputed in the school one Tyrannus daily. That's what he did in his third missionary journey. Now we don't know that he ever visited Colossae. But we do know that people came to hear him preach and teach from all over Asia Minor. And therefore the church at Colossae was probably an outgrowth of Paul's ministry on his third missionary journey as he ministered there. But that brings me to my first point this morning. Epaphras was a man who was faithful to God's 
commission. And how do I know this? Well, in our Bible, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, it says this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Paul says here that Epaphras is one of you. I should say from the beginning that the correct pronunciation of this man's name is Epaphras. Epaphras. Uh, but I'm from Lamavari. So for the duration of this sermon, he's going to be referred to as Epaphras. But if somebody stops you in the street tomorrow and asks you, what do you call the fellow in Galatians? You'll be able to say his name's Epaphras. Epaphras. But this man, Epaphras, he was a native of Colossae. He was born there. He was raised there. It's quite possible, and not a stretch of the imagination, to say that Epaphras was the one who brought the gospel to the Colossians. He was the one who travelled to hear Paul preach. He was converted, and he went back to his hometown and planted a church. Paul spent three years teaching the gospel and preaching in Ephesus, and Epaphras probably made the journey from Colossae to hear Paul preach and teach. And then whenever he was converted, he came home. He went to his hometown and told the people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Paul puts it this way in chapter 1 and verse 7. Chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says this. As he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. As he also learned the gospel from Epaphras. He learned it from him. And what Paul is telling us here is that Epaphras, he didn't just go to Colossae and do hit and run evangelism. Trust you know what I mean when I say hit and run evangelism. Hit and run evangelism is whenever you go to a town or city that you've never been to before. You stand in the street corner, you preach the gospel and you leave and you're never back again. Now that has its place. Don't misunderstand me this morning. It has its place. But that's hit and run evangelism. You go and you leave. That's not what Epaphras did. Epaphras heard the gospel and he went back to his home people and he remained there. He taught the gospel and he discipled individuals. He made disciples. In other words, he did the things that a faithful man of God, that a faithful pastor does to build up the church so that people grow in their faith. He was a faithful man of God. And what we can learn here from Epaphras is not to neglect where God has put us. Not to neglect who God has put us amongst. God has put you amongst a certain group of individuals for a reason. Your family. Your friends. Your workplace. Your city. Your village. Your church. God has put you there for a specific purpose. And I wonder, dear Christian, are you and I, like Epaphras, do we hear the gospel and do we say to ourselves, I need to bring it home? I've heard the gospel preached on a Sunday evening. I need to go to, to, to Bill in the workplace and tell him all about it. I need to go to Sharon in the workplace and tell her all about it. I wonder, do we do that as individuals? There are lots of people in the Bible who did the exact same thing. Andrew. Andrew, whenever he was called to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, did the very same thing. In John chapter 1 and verse 41, He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Whenever Andrew heard the gospel, he went, and who did he get first and foremost? His brother. His brother. He brought it home with him. We think even of the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, whenever she heard the gospel, whenever Jesus talked to her, told her of her, of her sinful condition, whenever she repented of her sin, what did she do? She ran back into the city and she told the people, come and see a man. 
that told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? She was converted. And she brought it home with her. I wonder, do you and I do the same thing? Epaphras was a man who was faithful to God's commission. He prioritized sharing the gospel of God's grace with other people. You know, dear friend, the great commission that you and I have been given, the great commission to preach the gospel, it's our duty as Christians. It is our duty. Now, yes, I know that communicating the gospel should come from a place of love and compassion toward other people. I know that. But dear Christian, this morning, at the very least, it is your duty. At the very least, it is your duty. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist. I know that. But everybody is called to evangelize. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist. But everyone is called to evangelize. And if the gospel isn't communicated, it's not evangelism. If the gospel is not communicated, then it's not evangelism. The gospel requires words. The gospel requires words. Another thing that this teaches us, another thing that we can see here is this. Whenever Epaphras went and told people the gospel and planted a church and discipled individuals, it tells us that God does not always need an apostle or a full-time Christian worker to begin a ministry, for a ministry to be established. He doesn't need an apostle. He doesn't need a full-time Christian worker. He just needs an individual like you and me who are faithful to the commission that has been given to us. That's all God requires. S.D. Gordon writes a series of books. Maybe I've mentioned it before from this pulpit. A little series of books. They're called Quiet Talks. Quiet Talks on soul winning and such things. But one of the books is entitled Quiet Talks with World Winners. Quiet Talks with world winners. And in his book, he makes this observation about the spread of the gospel. The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession or a major part of their occupation, but men and women who learned, who earned their livelihood in some purely secular manner, yet spoke of their faith, spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. People who worked in the secular world, but spoke of their faith in this natural fashion. They were individuals who were faithful to God's commission. I wonder, dear friend, as we look ahead to 2024, as we look ahead to this year that we've just set foot in, are you going to be an individual who's faithful to God's commission? As we look out in this week that lies ahead of us, will you be faithful to God's commission? I wonder, dear friend, do you ever ask yourself seriously the question, when's the last time I witnessed to an individual about Jesus Christ? When is the last time I witnessed to an individual about Jesus Christ? Epaphras was a man who was faithful to God's commission. Not only that, but Epaphras was faithful to his church. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7 it says, As he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. You know, here in verse 7, Paul refers to Epaphras as a dear fellow servant. It's the only individual in the New Testament that Paul refers to in such a way. Never talks of Titus in this way. Never talks of Timothy in this way. But he refers to Epaphras as a dear fellow servant. Can there really be any greater commendation than this? Epaphras, yes, he was a minister in the church of Colossae. But more important than that, it says here he was a faithful minister of Christ. 
He was a minister of Christ first and foremost. It was from Christ, the one who sat upon the throne of heaven, that he received his orders. It was Christ that he was faithful to. Epaphras was a man who had his priorities dialed in. Christ came first in his life. He considered himself Jesus' slave. He gave himself up to the will of God. And let me tell you something, friend. If you don't think it, let me tell you something and clarify something this morning. You can find no more a faithful master than Jesus Christ. Amen? No more a faithful master than Jesus Christ. This man was a man who was first and foremost a minister of Christ. That was the man, the God-man that he took his orders from. Another description that Paul gives him in verse 7, he says this, Our our dear fellow servant, who is for you? Who is for you? You see, Epaphras was not only of the church at Colossae, he was for the church at Colossae. If you are of a church, that is, you belong to one, be sure that you are for that church. Be sure that you are for that church. Epaphras was not above his congregation. He didn't put himself on a pedestal. He was for his congregation. He was for their spiritual well-being. He loved them. He wanted to see them excel in their walk with God. He was all in for his congregation. He was a man who was for his church. And nobody knew the church members better than Epaphras, I imagine. Nobody knew them better. And yet it tells us here in verse 8, who also declared unto us, your love in the Spirit. Who declared unto us the love, your love in the Spirit. Epaphras went to visit Paul. And Epaphras knew the people at Colossae better than anybody. He knew everything that was in their, in their closet. Everything that was in the place where nobody else should ever appear. Perhaps people told them things they struggled with. Perhaps somebody told them gross sins in their life. Epaphras knew all of this. He knew every dirty, dark secret, perhaps, of his congregation because he ministered to them, he shepherded them, he prayed with them, he wept with them, he probably knew everything about them. And yet, and yet, whenever Epaphras goes to hear Paul, goes to converse with them, he doesn't tell Paul anything about his congregation's dirty secrets. He doesn't tell them anything about the congregation's gross sin, perhaps. Perhaps the things that some individual was struggling with, some besetting sin. No, Epaphras doesn't tell them that at all. It tells us here that he declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Whenever Epaphras could have went and could have told Paul all about the shortcomings of the individuals in his church, he didn't. He kept silent about their shortcomings and lifted up their virtues. He told me about your love. He told me about your love. Careless criticism. Careless criticism is something that brings dishonor. It brings dishonor to the name of the Lord. And let's be honest, dear saint of God, it's so easy. It's so easy. In his book, The The Sins of the Saints, Dr. Herbert Lockyer has this searching paragraph under the heading, The Bitterness of Criticism. Bitter and unworthy and unchristlike criticism is the dead fly that causes the ointment of many a good life to produce a stinking savour when part of a church believe in it and serve it. Yes, shield the faulty ones from the flock. And if you do not altogether agree with the preacher, be silent about it. 
Do not tear him or any fellow church member to pieces. Do not be guilty of dragging the failure of a church, a preacher or a Christian before the world. And this is a sin in which we are all more or less guilty. It is so easy. It is so easily, so easy to helplessly criticize an individual, a dear Christian, a member of our church, or maybe a preacher. It's so easy. It's so easy. And we've all been guilty of it in the past. And my friend, I want to tell you this morning, I'm not speaking into any particular situation in the church here. I don't know any particular situation. I mean broadly. As the church of God, this, this should not be said of you and I. It should not be said of you and I. This was a man, Epaphras, who kept silent about other Christians' shortcomings and lifted up their virtues in the presence of others. I wonder, dear friend, do you and I do the same? Do you and I do the same? This man, Epaphras, we can also see here in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 13 that he wasn't a lazy man. He wasn't a lazy man. Epaphras, it says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record. That he hath a great zeal for you and for them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis. This man, Epaphras, was not a lazy man. He was not a man who was simply coasting through his responsibilities as a pastor. He was a man who was willing to roll up his sleeves and get down and dirty and do the work of God where God had placed him. I wonder, dear friend, can you and I say the same thing? He was a man who was all in. He laboured fervently for you in prayers. And it says in verse 13, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. This man had a zeal. Had a zeal for his congregation. He had a zeal for God's work amongst his congregation. He was a man who got stuck in whenever God's work required it. He was not a lazy man. He didn't just coast through his responsibilities. I wonder can the same thing be said of you and I. We're not lazy Christians. We don't just come to church to take a box. We don't just come to the prayer meeting to take a box. But we're an individual who's all in for our congregation. Epaphras was faithful to God's commission. He was faithful to his church. And finally, he was faithful in prayer. He was faithful in prayer. For all his other attributes, I think this one, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is the most notable quality of Epaphras. He was a faithful in prayer. He was a man of prayer. One of the reasons why Epaphras was such a successful dear fellow servant of Paul's, the reason he was such a faithful minister of Christ, was was because he was first and foremost a man of prayer. He was first and foremost a man of prayer. More important than the title of a dear fellow servant, more important than the title of a faithful minister, is the fact he was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. And it's important to note here, not only what he prayed for, but how he prayed. Verse 12. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. The word here in verse 12 for labor is a Greek word, and it's where we get the English agony. Agony. Epaphras was a man who agonized in prayer for other Christians. He agonized in the place of prayer on the behalf of other people. Something that I find interesting is this. In John chapter 18 and verse 36, the same word is translated as the word fight. 
It's translated as the same word, fight. This man wrestled with God persistently in prayer on behalf of his congregation. He wrestled in prayer. Wrestling with God. Wrestling with God in prayer. Persisting in prayer. Asking him to move on our behalf and on the behalf of others. That's what it is. That's what it means to fight in prayer. To agonize in prayer. To wrestle in prayer. I wonder, do you ever watch uh, wrestling? I'm not talking about that WWE stuff. That's No, I'm not talking about that. I mean like uh, college wrestling. We don't get it so much over here. It's very much an American thing. But whenever you college wrestle, I say college, university over here, but college wrestling, whenever you college wrestle, you step forward to the mat and the first thing you do is you lock with your opponent. Your hand goes behind their neck. You lock with your opponent. You're in contact. Constant contact. That's wrestling. Constant contact. Whenever you wrestle with God in prayer, you are in constant contact. You are in constant contact with prayer. You are fully engaged. You are fully engaged in prayer. And my dear friend, this morning, let me remind you of a very simple truth. We prayed it in the prayer meeting beforehand. We come to a God who not only hears prayer, but answers prayer. Amen? A God who answers prayer. This man wrestled in prayer. And whenever you wrestle in prayer, you're fully engaged. And throughout the Bible, we see different people who wrestle with God in prayer. I think the most notable example, perhaps apart from Abraham, the most notable example is Moses who wrestled with God, interceding on behalf of the people, humanly speaking, to change God's mind. Humanly speaking, I know you can't do that. You can't change God's mind. But humanly speaking, he sought to change God's mind. He pleaded with God and he gave God reasons to answer his prayer. And you can read all about it in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verses 18 to 19. How Moses pleaded and wrestled in prayer on behalf of the people of God. And this was also a pastor who didn't just pray surface level prayers. Epaphras didn't pray surface level prayers. Epaphras was a bit like Jacob I imagine. Whenever he came to God in prayer... And wrestled with God in prayer. You remember whenever Jacob said he wouldn't let go until he was blessed? I imagine that's what Epaphras was like. He came to God and he was fully engaged and he said, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless my congregation. He was a man who didn't pray surface level prayers. You know what surface level prayers are. Whenever you just pray for the sake of praying. You come to the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night and such and such a person praying for this, I'll pray to you. I'll pray that too. Maybe you've been in a prayer meeting and you've prayed a surface level prayer. Somebody needs prayer in the fellowship. Somebody needs prayer in your family. And everybody else is praying for the same thing. And you've prayed it. And you've walked out to the prayer meeting and you thought to yourself, I don't even know if God can answer that prayer. That's a big ask. I don't even know if God can do that. My friend, that's a surface level prayer. And I say this with the utmost respect this morning, and I say it, humanly speaking, at least a surface level prayer, my friend, is a prayer that bounces off the ceiling. Imagine coming to God and asking God to move, but not believing if he can or not. Surface level prayers. My friend, we come to God in prayer and faith. Epaphras prayed for his congregation, and he prayed that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Verse 12. That they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras prayed specifically. 
He prayed specifically that they would stand mature in their Christian walk and that the people would be fully convinced that they knew the will of God for their lives in Jesus Christ. Epaphras was a man who kneeled before God so his congregation could stand. He kneeled before God in prayer so his congregation could stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Dear friend, if you're here this morning and maybe you're a deacon in the church, an elder, Sunday school teacher, youth club leader, youth fellowship leader. I want you to ask the question this morning, dear believer. When's the last time you kneeled before God on behalf of your ministry or organization? When's the last time you kneeled before God so that other people in your organization or in your church could stand perfect and complete in all the will of God? Deacon? Elder? When's the last time that we... Stripped down before the throne of grace so that other people could stand in their walk. Epaphras was a man who unloaded his heart before God for his congregation day in and day out. And I think there's a message for all of us in that. Epaphras brought his congregation before the Lord. I wonder, dear Sunday school teacher or parent who is raising a child, anybody who perhaps is discipling somebody in the fellowship, somebody who's leading a Bible study or youth group, when's the last time that we stooped so that other people could stand in our fellowship. Just as I close this morning, I want to tell you this story. It's a story about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody ministered during the latter half of the 1800s, a time when crossing the Atlantic could only be done by ship. And during one of his voyages, a fire broke out aboard the ship and the crew immediately formed a line to pass buckets of water. And a friend along with Mr. Moody said, Mr. Moody, let's go to the other side of the ship and pray. And D.L. Moody replied, not so. We will stand here and pass buckets and pray while we do so. I think Epaphras was like that. Epaphras was a man, was a man who passed buckets and prayed while he did so. I wonder, dear friend, in the fellowship here at Grange Baptist Church, are you a man or woman who passes buckets? And praise while he does so. Is that you? This man Epaphras, you don't really hear about him too often, I think. I remember telling a friend one time that I'm going to preach on Epaphras, and he replied, Who? Maybe not the first person you think of in the New Testament, but to me, Elijah, this man is an Elijah of the New Testament. The brief sketch that Paul shows us is that how highly this apostle thought. Of Epaphras. Epaphras demonstrated a strong faith in God, a rich prayer life, a boldness in sharing the gospel, even at the risk of his own life. And he had a deep care for those who God had put him amongst. He was spiritually invested in the Christians around him. Epaphras is probably not the first name you think of whenever you think of an individual in the New Testament, but he served Jesus faithfully. And his reward is sure. Epaphras enters the scene in our Bible for just a few seconds. And though his Bible biography is brief, it reminds me of another very simple little fact. Little as much when God is in it. Amen? Little as much when God is in it. And my friend, as we look forward to 2024 and what the God will do in our fellowship, in our lives, in our families, let's remember to be faithful. To be faithful to God's commission, to be faithful to our church, and to be faithful in prayer. Amen.